Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide hey sarah i love that spring break vlog you posted on zigazoo omg you watched it yeah it was so cool I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. This episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com. That's Alienware.com slash deals. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Nolan. The absence of Matt, I go first. <laughs> that is correct. They call me Ben. We are joined, of course, with our super producer, Paul Deccan. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. I guess at the top, we would uh, we would have to say that today's episode is about music and you're hearing it in an audio format so we want to be we want to be very clear that some of the things you might hear in this episode may well apply to podcasts but thankfully we're still a little wild west out here remember that aerosmith video game it was like a, a, a arcade game with a gun it was called revolution x I do vaguely remember yeah, that. Yeah, you'd shoot CDs at like mm-hmm. uh, weird, like mutant kind of Mad Max type gas mask wearing creepy crawlers. Right. And the tagline for the game mm-hmm. was, music is the weapon. <laughs> that's, I do remember that. That's, that's correct. That's all I got. I think that's, I think that's a great place to start because we in the past looked at the use of uh, music as a weapon. No, wait, no, we didn't. That was a fake script I wrote for an audio drama, a radio play that we did some number of years ago. Uh, what was the one about the cursed record? 
You're talking about the the See You Next Time? That's the name of it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we didn't actually do an episode on music as a weapon. We have a fake script. <laughs> We have a fake episode in yeah, that show. It was a radio play. Yeah. Check that out. If uh, I think this is the perfect time of year to listen to that. We did a fun episode on our other show, Ridiculous History, about x-rays that were used uh, to pirate music back in the uh, the days of Russian hipsters known as the Stilyagi. That's true. You can listen to some of that music online, but you, you can listen to a sample of it on that episode too. Do check out Ridiculous History and manage your expectations with those records. But that's that just goes to show the idea of music as a weapon, the idea of the desperate lengths to which people will go to to encounter music that they enjoy. Uh, that just goes to show how fundamental music is to the human experience. Music is one of the earliest human technologies. Music predates written language and also predates most likely spoken language. In 2012, there was a high-resolution carbon dating examination of uh, some flutes from the Gezelkostela cave, and they found that these flutes were 42 to 43,000 years old, and the earliest recorded written language dates to, at the most generous level, uh, Samaria, circa... 3300 BCE. And this means that for thousands of years before anyone successfully propagated a written alphabet of any sort, our species played music across the planet. It's likely the first language our species was capable of using. Uh, It was able to exhibit complexity, nuance, and universality, which – you know, is the is one of the current arguments going on with music right now. Why do major tones tend to elicit similar emotions to people across the planet? More positive emotions, while minor tones make people feel a little blue. Yeah, the blue note. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with the brown note, which is a different a different note altogether. Uh, the blue note may be a little more real. Yeah, ho- hopefully. And the brown note is a conspiracy theory unto itself. Indeed. Now, let's fast forward thousands and thousands of years. Here we go until, boom, we're here at 2018. Music remains the first spoken language or sung language of Homo sapiens, and it's still so ubiquitous that we can guarantee you, you will almost definitely have heard a song in the preceding two hours, or you will hear a song in the next two hours. And it may be a song that you sing to yourself. It may be a snatch of song on the radio, but it surrounds us. Why? Well, here are the facts. It's one of the world's oldest industries, right, up there with prostitution, but music is also one of the world's most successful industries. By 2021, the music industry revenue in the United States alone will total over $22.6 billion, and that's just here in Uncle Sam land. How many of that is streams versus actual hard record sales, Ben? Right? It's tough to tell. Increasingly, of course, streams, Mm -hmm. right? Obviously. Um, And record sales, I believe, are in a precipitous decline, Mm -hmm. except for vinyls doing pretty well. Vinyls having a a new heyday. But CDs... Oh, my gosh. When's the last time you bought a CD? I, I I haven't bought a CD in 10 years. I'll buy a CD at my friend's shows. Sure, if, they if that's CDs. all they've got. Yeah. But I would prefer a cassette even. Or vinyl. Yeah, of yeah. course vinyl, yeah. And we have, we have a lot of friends who are musicians here on the show. 
and we understand the appeal. It's The business is so huge because it's tapping into a universal human desire and because on some level, haven't we all at least once or twice dreamed of being a famous professional musician? Yes. Being on stage, laying out a song, sending it across the world. Yeah, that was my original dream before become, before my second dream of becoming a podcaster. There you go. There you go. Uh, well, as long as you're in the top three of your childhood dreams, you're doing very, very well. Well, podcasting wasn't really around when I was a, a wee lad, so it was a sort of a new dream. Uh-huh. But I'm happy with it. It's similar to becoming an astronaut, you know, and in American music in particular, we have this image of the quintessential singer-songwriter moving up the ranks from obscurity to stardom based on maybe a little bit of luck, a tremendous amount of talent, fierce independence, and the ability to make it on their own, on their own merit, by themselves. At least that's that's the image that we get sold so often. Like, look at American Idol. It still goes on there. Here's my sob story. Here's my cover of a Lady Gaga or a Kesha song. And now I'm going to make my own album, mm-hmm. at which point you usually never hear of them again. How true is this idea? How, how true is our our narrative of a person or a group of people, a band, rising through the ranks independently. How, how much fact is in that story, really? Here's where it gets crazy. A little bit early. Yeah, it's fine. I knew it was coming, but didn't know it was coming quite so soon. Why don't you do the honors, though? Okay, sure. Ben, <laughs> wow, you bless me. The music that you hear is largely controlled by a vast, powerful set of forces just a stone's throw behind the uh, velvety curtains of <laughs> of the stage. And just an aside here, originally we had that typed out as uh, vast, powerful forces, just a, what, a curtain's throw behind the stage? A curtain throw behind the stage. I I kind of like it now. I kind of like it too. Maybe let us know if, if you think that'll catch on. But – but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Noel. Just off to the side, just barely uh, out of uh, you know, in the corner of your eye, you can see these vast forces yeah. exercising their control over your ears, your mm. earbuds, mm. your headphones, your speakers, what have you. And how far can you throw a curtain? Well, <laughs> that's the that's you can throw back a curtain. You can throw back a curtain. You can throw it open wide. You can cause a revelation. Yeah, we found several platforms or several spheres or pillars of um, control through which these various forces control the music that you hear, not just when you turn on the radio, fellow conspiracy realist, but everywhere you go. And we'd like to tell you about a few of these. My my trusty co-host, uh, Noel, you and Matt have probably at some point experienced one or two of these things. The first one is payola. No, I've never been. <laughs> I've never been high enough in the musical ranks to, to experience payola. But thank you, Ben, for but thinking of me. Perhaps you have been victimized by it. It's possible. It's highly <laughs> unlikely, though. So payola is the practice of paying a radio station or radio station owners for airtime. And it is uh, – in that form, leg- illegal. But it's so it's, this is the, the equation. So X amount of money, the station will play the song Y number of times. Right. And it's like I said, it's it's pretty patently illegal. But there are some criteria, right, Ben? Yeah. So payola, despite sounding like a, 
a very strange brand name for a granola bar, is a very common practice that's technically only illegal, according to the FCC, if the transaction is not publicly disclosed to the audience somehow or if the fees paid go directly to the DJ rather than to the station. So, for instance, let's say that Matt, Paul, Noel, and I, and and you too if you want to join our band, let's say that we have – Uh, a great hit song called All Will Be Revealed. And our song becomes a hit because we're attached to a powerful label, Illumination Global Unlimited, and they pay radio stations across the country, let's say $10,000, $20,000 a pop to play this song three times, so once an hour during their like three-hour primetime radio block. Then all of a sudden, all all will be revealed becomes a fantastic hit. But if no one knows that the only reason it's becoming a hit or getting that airtime is because we're giving ten to twenty thousand dollars directly to DJs across the country, we've broken the law. Here's the other thing: payola is very, very difficult to enforce. It's a standard, if often occluded or hidden, practice in the music industry. And you can tell just how old it is because of the name. It's a portmanteau. So, Noel, what what do we know about the name Paola? That's right, Ben. It's a combination. It's old. It's old combination mm-hmm. of pay and ola. Imagine that. <laughs> Which your common suffix is used for product names in the early 20th century. Like you got pianola, victrola, amberola, crayola, rockola, shinola. I love that one. Um, and, yeah, it reached its heyday, Payola did. You even have Motorola, for example. We right. Know. And Victrola in particular, that's a uh, – it's an audio device. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And um, also Motorola, which was a radio equipment manufacturing company. So Payola reached its heyday when the music industry was literally uh, run by the mob. That's true. So uh, – Have you ever seen that episode of Sopranos mm. that involves uh, – one of the characters, like great uncle or something like that, like mm-hmm. works used to work for the record industry, and he like stole songs from like you know young black artists and turned kind of them a into Motown hits. thing, kind of that. Yeah, I could it see was, that. Was, I haven't seen that episode. It was interesting. Yeah. So the way this would work in a hypothetical example would be that uh, super producer Paul Deccan's most popular radio show in Atlanta, the Young Kids Hop and Bop Poodle Skirt Hour, gets shaken down by various enforcers like um, the legendary Matty Two Hands Frederick, who offers him money but makes him an offer he can't refuse. And so in a way, the DJ is sort of forced to play this record, whatever this record may be. This caused a huge scandal, especially in the – 50s through the 70s. In the late 1950s, there was a congressional investigation into uh, the practice of payola. But despite that investigation, this practice continues today and it most definitely affects the music that you will hear, at least when you're casually tuning in to um, many radio stations. The Federal Communications Commission and the Communications Act of 1934 both try to fix the situation. They have strict requirements and rules regarding the issue of payola. They demand the following. 
that employees of broadcast stations, program producers, program suppliers, and others who, in exchange for airing material, have accepted or agreed to receive payments, services, or other valuable consideration must disclose this fact. Disclosure of compensation provides broadcasters the information they need to let their audiences know if material was paid for and by whom. So that's pretty clear. They're just saying be transparent. Totally. Despite that requirement, which really isn't that big of a requirement, I guess they just want the music to seem genuine and not purchased. Uh, But despite that requirement, many very successful record companies and labels have found tons of loopholes to continue the practice legally. And this goes back to our earlier example. This is how it affects independent artists. So you remember um, remember that group Macklemore and Ryan Lewis? Sure. The uh, thrift shop yeah. guys? Poppin' Tags? Yeah, that's the one. Uh-huh. Yeah, so these guys were on an independent label, and they were concerned that they wouldn't get airtime because they didn't have the infrastructure or the label support to pay radio stations to play their songs. So the Macklemore team, and this is according to their manager at the time, Zach Quillen, they hired an independent arm of Warner Music Group – called the Alternative Distribution Alliance, and they paid the alliance a flat fee every month to promote the album. And so this money went to the alliance, and part of that money went surely to radio stations. So despite functioning on an independent label, they were forced to play ball with a large label just to get airtime because these large labels, outside of maybe college radio, tend to control what people hear on the airwaves. So that's it. That's the first way that external forces control what you hear. It In the heyday of payola, it didn't particularly matter what radio station you decided to tune into. Whatever genre you found, there would be something like this in the mix at play. But that alone is not enough to entirely tip the scales because you could just say, well, what if I just don't listen to the radio? What if I only buy records? I only listen to things or I only buy phonographs or whatever and I only listen to music that I find in stores that I buy. I just listen to music that personally calls to me because I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I'm going to go Invictus. I know what I like. And that's what's going to steer me, uh, steer me through all this hoopla and all these big-time record companies trying to brainwash me into liking something I wouldn't ordinarily like. The- Why would they do that, though, Ben? <laughs> to what end? I'm glad, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked because it turns out that the decisions we make about the music we like may not be as independent as we would, we would prefer to think. We'll delve into the science after a word from our sponsor. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then 
you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. And we're back, and we're talking about the science of the song. So um, it doesn't stop there. If you're listening to this podcast, scientists around the world are working on ever more efficient ways to hack into your brain place and get you hooked on certain songs, melodies, lyrics, combinations of those things. What's that millennial? uh, The The Yelp? Yeah. uh, It's sort of like that song, that Tarzan song. But it's more, it's like, that's the the millennial Yelp. Um, And that is hot. It's in all the tracks. It may have waned a little bit, Mm -hmm. but now you still hear it pretty pretty frequently. Have you ever asked yourself, why does so much music sound the same nowadays? Uh, guess what? You're right. It's not a coincidence. Uh, you're not going crazy. You may be getting old, but that happens to everyone. We found that there's a reason uh, a lot of popular music sounds increasingly similar. Uh, let's uh, let's just dive into the science. Let's do it. So there was an FRMI study in 2011, and it proved to us that the emotional centers of our brains, including the reward centers, are more active when we hear songs that have been played for us before. In fact, these areas are more active even than when people hear unfamiliar songs that fit better with their musical taste. So what this means is, like, what's an obnoxious pop song? You mean, what's not an obnoxious pop song? All right, Macarena. 
Macarena is pretty bad. Okay, so let's let's go with that. So I uh, I take that back. There's some pop songs I quite enjoy. There are quite a few. Yeah. Uh, so Macarena, though, you know, it uh, it's not everybody's cup of tea. But for a time, people heard it constantly, and after a certain amount of listens, a certain number of iterations of hearing this song, then the emotional centers, the reward centers included, would ping for anyone who heard the Macarena, even if their favorite music was, say, heavy metal or gospel, and they heard a, they heard another a new gospel song or a new heavy metal song, their brain would not be as rewarded as it would be hearing Macarena just one more time. Isn't that crazy? It is pretty crazy. So, in short, this this is a fundamental switch, okay? In short, this proves that while we often assume a song is played a lot because it's popular, the opposite is true. The song is popular because it's played so often, and we all fall into this trap of loving familiar things. You like this, Noel. It's sometimes been referred to as a musical Stockholm syndrome. And Stockholm Syndrome, of course, is the phenomenon in which victims of a, of a kidnapping or some other crime where they're held with their captors for a long time will begin to sympathize with them and say, you know what? They're not that bad. I kind of get where they're coming from. Interesting. But we're we're familiar with Stockholm syndrome. It gets it gets mentioned in all types of crime fiction. It occurs in real life, but this Stockholm effect seems to happen with culture as well. It's not just kidnapping. Yeah, it's true. Uh, the scientific term for this phenomenon is the mere exposure effect, uh, and that was discovered in the '60s by a guy with a delightful name. Uh, first name is pretty standard: Robert. Last name Zajonk. Zajon. Zajon. I like that. Maybe he's uh, maybe he's a Polish. It's, it's, it's Z-A-J-O-N-C. Um, and it can apply to anything, images, shapes, songs, or even people. Mm-hmm. So that means that if you <laughs> – check this out. That means that the more often you're exposed to a certain image or even just a shape, like maybe – Someone decides to hack your brain by changing your workplace and putting just a bunch of inverted triangles in kind of inconspicuous places. You are going to begin to notice those shapes and you'll probably, the argument goes, eventually as you become more familiar with them, enjoy them more or associate them with reward and comfort. In Robert Zajonk's study, participants reported liking songs more the second and third time they were exposed to them. And this same response occurred even when the participants weren't aware that they had been exposed to the song. So they walk in maybe uh, to sign up for the study and softly in the background, you know, explosions in the sky or Godspeed, you black emperor or um, – a Katy Perry song or something is playing. The point is, it doesn't matter what the song is. If people, if people's brains are registering it, even if they're not consciously aware of it, that's when the familiarity begins to build. So, you know, we've talked about this a lot off air and on air. There are a lot of albums or songs that come out that we say, well, at first I wasn't feeling it, but then I had to let it grow on me and I listened to it some more times and then I began to realize I really liked it. You know what I mean? I, I think a lot of – actually, I think a lot of high schoolers went through that with Radiohead. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they, they, you know, they're not the most 
Well, especially their latter records. You know, the first ones are a little bit easier to stomach right away. And then, you know, a little Kid A, a little Amnesiac. It takes a little bit more um, taste, kind of. You know, you got to kind of like work your way up to it. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's good for you. And that's – those are active listening tracks, I would also say. Yes, active listening versus like the – the hooks are much more apparent on the first two Radiohead records and like the song structures are much more traditional whereas when they started kind of switching things up and getting more experimental it's a little bit it takes a little bit more of an effort to kind of like see what they're going for or a little bit more familiarity with the kinds of influences that they're harnessing or kind of uh, summoning I guess. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it and I think those are valid points. What the science shows us is that the human species can easily mistake the fluidity of our ability to identify and fully comprehend a song with us actually liking it. So we seem to say, oh, I know this song, and make this implicit jump that means, oh, I also like this song. So once a song gets stuck in your head, once you get an earworm, it might quickly transition from being irritating to being one of your jams, one of your hot summer jams. We have a video that super producer Paul Deccan and I did on the science of earworms. So please check that out. Maybe we can post it when this episode goes live. Good idea. If you want to learn more about this. Yeah, thank you. And this, (laughs) I don't want to drag you too hard on this, Noel, but when I was looking at the science of this, I thought, how many times does Noel need to hear Hobo Johnson is that his name? Yeah, Hobo Johnson. How many times does Noel need to hear Hobo Johnson before it becomes his his hot summer jam? Well, here's the problem with Hobo Johnson, Ben. One of many <laughs> is that that song doesn't really have a hook because the guy's just kind of wine rapping. And when I, I'm not saying like wine, like like a wino would rap. Wine, like W H I N E. Right. It's sort of like emo uh, rap, and it doesn't really have a hook. It has no melody, so it's hard to like latch on to something to make it your summer jam. But but the kids seem to like it. Who am I to say? I'm just an old man. I'm just. I hope this wasn't gotcha, uh, gotcha podcasting because I find it so endearing. The the how upset you are about that guy. I'm not sure why I feel so strongly about it. I don't. You made us stop everything, and we're very busy here. And you made us stop everything so you could play the song while you told us how much you hated it. Mm-hmm. Which was very strange. I'm sorry, man. I'm a, I'm a strange one. I'm not. I'm not against. Look, I have a spoken word background, so I have no room to talk. It's, Get it? No room to talk. Oh, spoken word. I didn't background? think about that. That's good. That's good. Was, hey. I like an unintentional dad joke. It's a happy accident. It's a Bob Ross happy accident. But this is this is a provable neurological phenomenon. This is what your this is your brain on songs. The twist is that the music industry is very, very, very much aware of this. And that's why payola, ad deals, promoted videos, and all that, all that jazz matter so much because they know if they can get the song in front of you, if they can control your environment such that they can make you hear the same songs repeatedly, you will increasingly like them. Other scientific factors also play a role. The context in which you hear a song is incredibly important, just as, if not more important, than the qualities of the song itself. This means that more to- the more times a song is forced upon you, the more opportunities the 
powers that be have to make your brain have positive associations with it. Uh, There's a great article on Mike.com that has a, a fantastic example of this. Okay, here's a quote from this article. Uh, quote, if someone hears Ariana Grande's smash hit problem, every time they're out with their friends, they will likely start to associate it with good times and good feelings, regardless of the song's actual lyrics. Songs that the industry foists upon us constantly then have a far better shot at becoming popular than ones without the machine behind them. Ben, this is true. <laughs> you know what's funny too? Huh. It actually works both ways. Oh, yeah. Songs can make you ways. sad. It can make you real sad because it depends if you associate like a particular song with like something like a breakup or like a Ooh. death in the family or something. Ooh. If a song is very popular and you're hearing it all the time as you're feeling these emotions, you're going to associate that song with that set of emotions. Mm-hmm. I remember when the song Dark Horse by Katy Perry was really big. Uh-huh. I was in San Francisco for the first time um, in many, many years. And I had a really great time. And it was also kind of an, an emotional time in my life. It was at the kind of the end of my marriage. I was with my ex-wife. And it was sort of the last kind of hurrah that we had like as a married couple. So forever I will associate that song with very complex emotions, both happy ones and sad ones. But that song definitely makes me feel stuff every time it comes on. Right. And it's interesting because the, that connection, of course, is is specific to individuals or groups of individuals. It's not universal, which has put me in – you know, I don't, I don't have a ton of feelings. So it's awkward for me sometimes to be in situations where someone's like, let me play this song that's very important to me and it's – you know, it's, it's something that they have very somber, deep emotions about. But it's kind of a, you know, it's like a pop punk song from their childhood, or it's like a, it's like an old timey grand old Opry song, you know. And what they're really doing is they're they're telling you about their lives through music. But it can be weird if you don't have the same associations, which is why it becomes even more important to inundate the the environment with that song so that people make the same associations. Also. San Francisco is a beautiful town. It is a beautiful I'm town. I'm glad you got to go there. I did. I've been a couple of times since, but mm-hmm. I always think back whenever I hear Dark Horse to that one particular trip. And we can't stop here. As they say in Inception, we have to go deeper. This sort of psychological manipulation is not limited to the radio. As you said, it occurs in bars and clubs and public centers and especially in retail situations where professional playlist makers work to make unobtrusive, comforting groups of tracks, selections of songs that will ultimately, hopefully, make you more likely to purchase things even if you don't need them. And this is a two-way street. It helps the artists or their owners as well. As NPR put it, a good retail playlist can bring home the culture of a business and psychologically affect a customer in a way that doesn't feel pushy. And it's a positive for the featured artist. In today's flooded musical climate where new songs are published at a crazy rate on the internet, having your song play in a Victoria's Secret, the store for instance, can help cut through the noise. And Noel, I will... I will share a thing with you because I, I don't want to leave you out there by yourself with a with a personal anecdote. I went through something similar when I was in London with uh, a song by Arctic Monkeys. And I'm not the biggest Arctic Monkeys fan, but that song 
happened to be playing while I was on a tragic and doomed adventure abroad. Oh, wow. Was that, you looked good on the dance floor? Was that the one? No, it was the, uh, wouldn't that be funny if that was it? <laughs> it was, um... Wasn't that them? Did it, that yeah, okay. yeah, I think you're right. It was the song, When the Sun Goes Down. And I realized that that is not, that song itself, the lyrics have nothing to do with what was happening to me at the time, but because I was exposed to that song in that period of my life, they are inextricably intertwined. And there you have it. Most of the music you, specifically you, hear is likely controlled by teams of experts in multiple fields working assiduously behind the scenes for large brands and labels, many of whom have significant financial ties with each other, to continually play the same songs or similar songs over and over and over and over again until they feel familiar and comforting, and most importantly, until you feel that you have decided that you chose to listen to it. Isn't that amazing? It's like a gas, this is like macro level gaslighting. Oh my God, it really is. No. It's, like, it's like an industry designed around gaslighting. <laughs> yeah, no. Has the prevalence of this industry lessened with the rise of more arguably democratic media platforms like YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, so on? Sure, sure. Yes, okay, of course. But that's very similar to saying, oh, look, that Redwood is 10 feet shorter than it was 10 years ago. It's still gigantic. The effect is still there. But this still doesn't entirely answer the question. We've only answered part of the question, who controls the music that you hear? Because it starts, of course, with the people who make that music. And the problem is there are far fewer of them than you may have initially thought. We'll be back after a word from our sponsor. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. 
Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. And we're back. Um, So according to a 2015 article from The Atlantic, the biggest pop star in the United States is a guy named Carl Martin Sandberg. Who's that? Yeah. So unless you're into obscure 80s hair metal, you probably have never heard of him um, or seen any of his performances. Yet this guy, this single man is responsible for more hits than Phil Spector, Michael Jackson, or the Beatles. That's insane. Yeah. He has protégés too, um, who are in their own right, intensely successful. Uh, guys by the name of Mikkel Eriksson, these are Norwegian guys, by the way, and Tor Hermansen, uh, in addition to Lucas Gottwald, and uh, and then you got Esther Dean tacked on the end there, from uh, hailing from Oklahoma. Um, so professionally, they use pseudonyms, but you probably aren't particularly familiar with Max Martin, Stargate, Dr. Luke, and Esther Dean either. Now, Esther Dean, let's be fair, really put in the minimal amount of effort with this pseudonym. Her real name is Esther with an H. Yeah. <laughs> and in the pseudonym, she just took out the H. That's right. You've probably heard of Dr. Luke was embroiled in a very uh, high-profile lawsuit with uh, with Kesha, I believe. That's right. Yeah, yeah for, that's probably how most people know may Dr. Well, Luke. But these, these, these are folks that don't make their own records. They don't really – they're not front – people. Mm-hmm. They're behind the scenes for sure. And here are some of the hits that you that these folks are responsible for. Max Martin, that's Sandberg, wrote many of these, among others. Uh, Bad Blood by Taylor Swift and Kendrick Lamar, well, featuring Kendrick Lamar. Uh, Can't Feel My Face by The Weeknd. I Kissed a Girl. That's Katy Perry. One More Night. Not sure who that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least 22 other Billboard Hot 100 number one hits. Uh, and that makes him the songwriter with the third most number one singles on the chart, trailing only Mr. Paul McCartney, Sir Paul McCartney, excuse me, at 32, and John Lennon, who had 26. And Max Martin is still in the swing of his career, so he may well transcend that. He may well have since this article was originally written. Either. It seems likely. So that's that's stunning. What does this mean? This means that a handful of people, mostly, oddly enough, middle-aged Scandinavian guys, have been writing the majority of America's pop hits. It's an open secret, but it's closely guarded, and it's protected by labels and the performers themselves because we all want to have that vision of the single, strong, independent person or the group of incredibly talented people banding together, literally, and rising through the ranks. But the performers themselves have identities that are brands that are as carefully constructed as their songs and their dance routines. And as we said, here at Stuff They Don't Want You To Know, we are friends with tons of talented musicians. And within the industry, most people are aware of this, let's call it consolidation, to a degree. However, for the casual audience member, it can be incredibly disheartening to realize 
that this is similar to the banking industry, the healthcare industry, mining industries, and other businesses. Music is increasingly consolidated and monopolized, and they're using the same practices. We're talking about outsourcing, focus grouping, gargantuan marketing pushes, and more. I learned that um, some pop stars have writing camps where they send teams of people to spend the summer writing their next hit. Totally. And um, there's a label representative that kind of like shepherds the whole thing around and they refer to this person as the camp counselor. Um, and then there's a term that I just learned actually. You know, a top liner is. What's the top? top liner is someone whose uh, their particular skill is writing vocal melodies exclusively. And that's the thing about these teams, right? You got like specialization. It's like a heist. You got like the beat guy. You the got hook the guy. hook guy. You got the, the top liner doing the vocal melody, you know, mm. and it's all based around the same kind of psychology and mental manipulation that goes into like marketing, for example. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about like ear earworm worthiness or earworm ability. I don't uh -huh. know. I'm making these words up. Those are but, great. You know, it's like it's all about what's the shortest possible, th most catchy thing that that can be written into a song. And that's what they're going to do. And they're going to, like, focus group that. They're going to, like, workshop it, right? Yeah. And this is th – there's the other thing. Uh, there's – in addition to focusing and workshopping, they have metrics that they already build into songs, touch points. Jay Brown, who co-founded the record label with Jay-Z, put the number at seven seconds. He said you need a hook of some sort – Every seven seconds because that's the average amount of time someone will listen to a new song before turning it and listening to something else. Right. So he's like, you have to have a hook in the in the beginning. You have to have a hook in the pre-chorus, hook in the chorus, hook somewhere in the verse, hook back in the chorus, hook at the break. Every seven seconds. And there's also a technique that was invented by reggae artists uh, in Jamaica called the track and hook method where you compose the track – like the the instrumentation, the instrumental of a, of a piece of music separately from the melodies and the hooks. So that's why you can have like a producer deliver a track mm -hmm. and then have like a hook writer write something on top of it. And they can be working like independently. And sometimes use the same beats for different songs. Same beats for different songs. And that's also why so much of the, of the music we hear in pop sounds the same because it's – it's meant to be as interchangeable as possible, right? <laughs> I think that's I think that's the best way of putting it, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's a great way to put it. We're getting some of this information from a fantastic and sobering book by an author named John Seabrook. This book is called The Song Machine and it features these interviews with the the powers behind the throne. And one thing that really struck me about the book is that there's there's a point where he discovers the formula, the formula that tons and tons of pop songs are written to, and he describes it thusly. ABBA's pop chords and textures, Dennis Pop's song structure and dynamics, Dennis Pop is the um, mentor of Max Martin or Sandberg, and then combine that with 80s arena rocks, big choruses, and early 90s American R&B grooves. And songs are written by committee, often, as we said, just skirting the edge of plagiarism, all operating under the same proven assumption that sameness sells. And that, that is where we are at with the music industry. It's, it's interesting. 
we were in a conversation just briefly off air uh, uh, that relates to this to this episode and today's story. It's interesting because in other countries, this sort of industry is much more prominent, much more visible, and you can see the nuts and bolts. Like in K-pop, for instance, there's not really a pretense at organic growth or individual independent meritocracy. In K-pop, in the K-pop industry, children go to K-pop academies. Yeah. And they're, they're it's drilled. It's like the, the boy band model, only even mm-hmm. more militaristic and like intense. Yeah. That's a You're good like word groomed for it. for it almost, right? Mm-hmm. And it's super competitive. They don't really have a lot of agency in their own lives. And – they're very much seen as the as the tip of this entertainment iceberg, and the real power, the money, the influence, uh, the the people who make connections and determine which band rises and falls. Those forces are rarely are rarely going to be seen here in the U.S., but they're widely acknowledged to exist in K-pop. And I don't know if uh, J-pop, Japanese pop music, is the same, but I wouldn't be surprised. So where did this where does this leave us? What's the future? Have any guesses? I don't know. I mean, do you think it's going to get more like this? I mean, because I actually feel that like pop music has gotten a little less predictable in certain ways. There are certain artists that are like pushing the boundaries a little more, but at the same time, they are still artists that work with some of these hit factories, like Rihanna. Like I think Rihanna's music is pretty pretty interesting and unusual and incorporates a lot more like dance hall kind of beats and I feel like the the, the whole job of these guys and these mm-hmm. hit factories is to figure out what the times crave and then right. kind of adjust accordingly and it's sort of like you know you, you in the past you'd have an artist like David Bowie who would do that mm-hmm. but now we have these kind of committees that figure it out and constantly have their finger on the pulse of the zeitgeist so I don't know I don't think it's always bad mm-hmm. what's produced by this kind of uh, system but it can be. It certainly can be homogenous. But I feel like if it's too homogenous, then it's going to bore people. That's a good point. Now, let me let me draw a strange analogy here. So, for very wealthy uh, Western European nobility in the Middle Ages, it was considered the height of luxury or a huge status symbol to have a cook or a chef who could make food taste or look like something other than what it was. So to somehow flavor uh, venison or something so that it appears to be a duck. It's still venison though. And I I wonder if there's some similarity here between saying, okay, this song, still a pop song, is going to feel more reggae influenced. But the science there is probably still the same, roughly. There's probably still... Um, an increment of seven to ten seconds of something changing. Let me keep your attention. You know, this is we live in the short attention span theater, right? Um, but yeah, I wonder how much it's actually changing. I agree with you that there's a ton more stuff that appears to be different, breaking out of the mold, getting past this strange um, hierarchy of structure and sound. But ultimately, The industry is not going to stop. It is simply going to evolve. And luckily, we, all of us as individual listeners, can still find and enjoy local music or independent stuff. We can search forums. We can uh, find Spotify playlists that we like and other listening platforms. But that leads us to the question about 
how those songs on Spotify or Pandora get recommended, just like videos get recommended on YouTube, which we did an episode on earlier. So how does that all happen? Well, that's a story for another day. And Noel, I was wondering how we would how would we close this? What's a good question we could end on for all our fellow conspiracy realists out there? Here, here we go. Um, how about send us some like pop songs that you find interesting and some that you find pedantic and repetitive and tell us why and what, what makes the difference for you? There we go. That sounds fantastic. Oh, I have so many ideas you might be saying, but how can I tell you? Well, luckily, we are all over the internet. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, especially our community page. Here's where it gets crazy, where you can talk with your fellow conspiracy realists about pop music for as long as you can stand to talk about pop music. You can also call us if you'd like to leave a voicemail. We are one 833-STDWYTK. And if none of that quite tracks and loops for you, never fear. You can email us directly. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you.